Hi, you are listening to an unofficial shortcast of the original full-length podcast. We handpick episodes from the current best business podcasts from around the world and distill the content down to its essence so you can get the same learnings in less time. No need to increase the speed, no commercials, no music and no fluff. Less is more with Shortcaster. Disclaimer, Shortcaster does not own the rights to the original podcast. The summary is created by independent contributors. Shortcaster contributors try to create an accurate summary of the content without their own bias, but they no way claim that it's 100% accurately an accurate interpretation of the original work. For the full podcast, please visit the link provided on this page. This summary is created by Sean Hertz. The original content is from Business Wars, installment 7 of Nike vs. Adidas, interview with Liz Dolan and David Meltzer, aired March 20th, 2018. This is a summary of the last installment of the sneaker wars between Nike and Adidas in the 80s and 90s, in the midst of some of the biggest battles during their fierce competition. First, host David Brown interviews Liz Dolan, Nike's chief marketing officer in the 1990s. In the second part of the podcast, Brown interviews David Meltzer, co-founder and CEO of Sports One Marketing. Brown starts by asking Dolan about her thoughts on her first days at Nike in 1988 and the introduction to the company principles that each new hire receives. Dolan recalls that the onboarding process at the time wasn't the most organized, but that the company principles were totally unique at the time. They were given to her on a piece of coffee-stained paper written 11 years ago on a typewriter by Nike co-founder Phil Knight. She mentions that there are little things on that list you wouldn't regard you would regard as common business principles now, such as businesses need to place change, but not then. There was a section about internal dangers such as bureaucracy, personal ambition, energy takers versus energy givers, knowing our weaknesses, and uh, to not get too many things on the platter. Knight was not necessarily saying don't be ambitious, but he was saying put the team first. The last principle Dolan found intriguing was perfect results count, not a perfect process. Regarding the offices and culture of the early days, Dolan mentioned it's a world of difference between the high-tech fancy Nike offices now and when she started. They were more spread in all kinds of warehouses all over Oregon. It was still very much this scrappy startup mode, a pretty loose operation. There was no proper onboarding or even a desk ready for her. The style was, if you were expecting being handed a desk, you might not be cut out for this type of organization. She mentions there was something super Oregonian about Nike in a lot of ways, and she can't imagine a better place for this company to have grown up with Oregon's sense of isolation and pioneering spirit. Brown asked Dolan to describe founder and CEO Phil Knight. She recounts, he's one of the shyest guys you've ever met wearing dark sunglasses in all of his public appearances, and an anecdote about that nothing could have made him happier than being mistaken for Eric Clapton. Dola mentions Knight's memoir, Shoe Dog, in which you can read how close Nike came so many times to completely failing. She found Knight a great leader, but a terrible manager. He was not good, not good at giving detailed direction, but he was a great leader because he, he could always tell us why it was important, the real meaning of what we were working on, reminding us that the competitiveness in the way we operate had to be always in front of our minds. Knight was pretty honest and frank about what he really thought, which manifested itself in the whole company. 
She remembers being shocked attending the first staff meeting um, she went to where everyone was just saying what they thought. People really, really worked hard. There was a sense of camaraderie. By the time Liz Dolan left, she was vice president of global marketing and had seen Nike change every year. The first year she was there, Nike did 800 million in sales, and by the time she w- she left, it was 9 billion. During that 10 years or so, it changed from being the kind of U.S. sneaker company to being a global footwear and apparel company and a major global sports brand. Dolan does not agree with the remarks made in the first episode of Sneaker Wars when somehow Nike was considered Goliath and Adidas David. She felt in the beginning Adidas was this behemoth, the global company that Nike actually wanted to be like but also take down. These days, however, she feels Nike is the giant and Adidas is playing catch-up in a way. This concludes the summarized interview with Nike's chief marketing officer in the 90s. Next up, Brown sits down with David Meltzer, co-founder and CEO of a leading digital marketing agency, Sports One Marketing. Meltzer has been watching the Nike-Adidas rivalry from the front lines on the agency's side of the athletes and sports executive who work closely with both companies. He mentions back then that compared to Adidas, Nike was far ahead in the United States. Adidas had their traditional sports. Adidas was the older of the two with the European and German culture. Started by Rudy and Adolf Adi Dussler and still uh, carrying the family tradition. They weren't that interested in the US at first. Until recently, uh, he hasn't seen the innovation and energy of what he considered Nike always had. Adidas treated their stars and partners like family, where Nike treated you like a star. And so it's a completely different culture. The American-European divide was a real thing in culture and how they made their money. Nike is more like a cult, and he feels Adidas is more like a family. Brown asked Melter about the darker side of business, the cutthroat competition, the corporate espionage, and how Adidas recruited three top designers away from Nike. Meltzer mentions that companies tell him that Nike has stolen from them and that Nike's attitude is like, go ahead, you don't have enough money to do anything about it. Playing the big multi-billion dollar bully. Stories he hasn't heard about Adidas. Nike has a reputation, but then there's the fact that they took away three top designers. It prompted a lawsuit that eventually got settled, but he thinks Big corporate businesses probably all have a dark side and that we may not that we may or may not know. The conversation then leads to the use of superstars and personalities as icons for the brands and creating brands around them. A great example of how Nike created a brand around a superstar is the phenomenal success of Air Jordan, Meltzer says. Nike's success even had an effect on the basketball world at large. It was the first time a company took on an actual league, teams or players, and made a stage of that arena for their own brand. Sometimes the brand even transcended the game and the individual. Air Jordan is now a multi-billion dollar company itself. He recounted how Nike tried to court Michael Jordan early on, and Jordan really wanted to go with Adidas back then. He says Jordan was skeptic, but he was sold when uh, when he was shown his supposed signature shoe, And when they said he didn't like it, the guy from Nike said, no problem, we can just make it suit you. And that's what really let him up. 
It was like, wait a minute, they don't just want my name, they want me to be a partner. Nike has people that are specifically there for Michael Jordan. If Jordan needs anything and we can't get into him immediately, this person jumps on a plane and delivers it to him in hand. And they do the same for Tiger Woods. Adidas distinguished itself early on with getting Run DMC's endorsement, which gave birth to the whole association between sneakers and street culture. And more recently, Kanye has really rejuvenated Adidas. Up until 2015, there was no competition in America. It was Nike's market. Now, he sees Adidas winning that war. They have a better focus on cultural stars, influencers, actors, celebrities, and entertainment entertainers. They use the right talent in the right ways and getting what he calls organic, authentic validation from the market and how it's good at creating viral campaigns on YouTube and other social media. To him, there's always a combination of independent and dependent variables. Adidas gives more freedom to their stars, where he thinks everything is much more manufactured today by Nike, using huge agencies that are creating manufactured results. Nike's still king in the US market share, but over the last one and a half year, we've seen Adidas with double-digit growth and Nike sales starting to sag. The wars have, in Meltzer's opinion, just begun and expand far beyond the American borders. Adidas is really working hard in China and the US, and Nike is pushing hard in Europe, selling their own Nike soccer kits, a main stable of Adidas. It's a bit like Samsung versus Apple war, but with so many more competitors. Puma was created by Rudy Dustler himself, and in this digital world, small can grow very quickly. He remembers Kevin Plank coming into his office asking for $10,000 to start sports apparel brand Under Armour. Meltzer and his partners were laughing and then thinking, how could anyone ever think to take on Nike and Adidas? This was the summary of the last episode of Business Wars Dive Into the Sneaker Wars. Business Wars has more great episodes, for example, focusing on DC versus Marvel, Netflix versus Blockbuster and HBO, and many more. If you'd like to hear more summaries of Business War episodes, let us know. And also tell us what other podcasts you'd like us to summarize for you. Thank you for listening.